Um, if, if a company calls and says, hey, we need your help developing managers, awesome, we can do that. Four hours, we'll do a workshop style training, we're gonna interact, you're gonna build these skills, you're walking away from it. If somebody says, hey, we wanna take people on a deep exploration of who they are, how to figure out at the deepest levels uh, what it means for them to be an authentic, true leader that's maximizing the fullness of who they are, we can do that too. We have that step-by-step -step as a process that's gonna be more engaged. Uh, what this series of events represents is next level explorations. So we've got all of that content, book, uh, video, audio, all that stuff. This is edge content for those leaders who want to constantly get to the edge and the horizon of who they are. So just to make sure you know uh, how this is structured, I look at this talk then and my content with you through these nine parts. These are not polished keynotes I've ever delivered before. This is stuff written just for this, like sitting by a fire Saturday in Hocking Hills, wrestling with some of this, uh, to, to share with you as this imperfect gift that then we create together. But as we create it together, I'm expecting that you are of the kind of intelligence to understand the complexities and the nuances. I will always take it down to street level tactics so that you can walk away with something. Uh, this first piece that we want to talk about today is just this idea of what it means to have a center, an identity. Now, the problem with talking about the term identity is that just because you can use a term or name something doesn't mean that you really understand it. I love what Maya Angelou says when she says, I'm Black Samoan, African, I'm a woman. I'm all of these things, but none of these things is all of me. What a beautiful statement. Because right now, if I use the word identity out there in popular culture, people are just taking one marker about who they are, and they're making that all of them. Well, I want to know an identity that's bigger and more than something that can be summed up with just one marker. I am more than just one tribe that I might be a part of. And so what I want you to do today just try this idea on with me for a little bit. This idea that an identity is something more than just a simple marker. Now we can use words like self and personhood and essence, but really, really, you can't fully explain something until you've experienced it. So we can use these terms and we can try to explain them, but if I were to try to explain to you what it feels like to eat a cheeseburger, or Texas barbecue, or the perfect vegan meal. We don't want to offend anybody. Whatever it is, until you taste these things, you don't actually know what it is. Until I felt what it feels like to have a deep, close connection with my teenage daughters, would I have believed a deep, close connection could happen with teenage daughters? I don't know. Now that I've experienced it, I know what it's like, and it's amazing. And so for so many people, the way that they approach development and growth, they can't believe in an experience they've never had. So what I'm going to try to do today is take you through what it means to have a deep experience of your identity so that this is something that you can start to seek out and explore in your leadership. And the reason I want to do that, and I could use something Carl Jung taught, he said that we have an infinite capacity within. I believe this with all my heart. And I believe knowing 
the infinite capacity you have within you as a leader is the key to continually staying at the edge and horizon of your own self and personal leadership. Therefore, you can bring the next visionary edge and horizon to those that you are leading, the teams, the organizations, the families, everything you're a part of. Because you will only be able to take the organization, the team, the family to that next edge that you're able to go to. And if you can't imagine that next place, you can't take them there. So what I'm gonna do is walk you through a progression today, just three simple pieces that are gonna help you continually be this kind of leader and even better, cooperate with this process as others develop. Because if you can cooperate with it in your life and then you cooperate in it with others, well, that's where it gets catalytic. I think marketing is just hilarious and fascinating to me. How many of you have been to a beach vacation of some sort on the East Coast, specifically the warmer climates like North Carolina, South Carolina? Yeah, so numbers have been, okay. You're at one of these beach houses and you see something, a, a bug, a critter. We would have a different name for it here in Ohio. What do they call it in South Carolina? Do you know? The cockroach that we would call in Ohio, they call it a what? Palmetto bug, exactly. This is just marketing. That's all that is. They're not gonna come to the beach. They're not gonna stay at the beach houses. They're overrun with cockroaches. Let's call them palmetto bugs. Honey, we're at the beach. Look at these palmetto bugs. It's great. This is awesome. Well, my wife doesn't feel that way. As much as I try to convince her of this marketing tactic, we were staying at a beach house a number of years ago. This had been after a phase where I had literally lost over seven figures of real assets, negative six figures in debt, just trying to rebuild our lives. I was just thankful to get us to the beach at all. We drove up to this house and it was uh, not one of those houses that was on stilts. And I was like, oh, oh no. Because if it's on stilts, at least those palmetto bugs will hit the trash cans, but they're not coming up. So we come up and we see that this is first floor and a second floor to this house. We pull in, I've got that feeling, but I'm like, maybe it's gonna be okay. We're there for a few days. I wake up at 4 a.m. laying in a bed with my wife staring over me with her eyes wide open. This is a pleasant experience to wake up to, as you can imagine. She looks at me and says, we're leaving. Now, at this point, we would have been married, let's say we've been married 19 years now, uh, 11 or 12 years. Thankfully, I was already smart enough to know at that point, when the energy is that intense, it serves of no purpose to say, but honey, we've got a couple more days. But honey, it's 4 a.m. But honey, I knew it. It was just a settled fact. We're leaving. We are leaving. Why? I just went in the kitchen and there were three cockroaches. I'm like, oh, no, no, those are palmetto. We are leaving. We literally packed up, drove back to Columbus, Ohio. She got every bag that we have put it out on the front lawn, shook out every article of clothing. There was no way that was coming back into our house. How many of you have seen the show Hoarders before? Just curious. Anybody seen the show? Yeah. I can watch about two minutes of that show. After about two minutes, the it factor is too intense. I need to go wash and bleach and I'm done. Now, how crazy would it be if you saw somebody on this show being interviewed and, and they're really heartfelt and they're authentic about it and they go, I had exterminators come in. They got rid of all the rats, 
all the cockroaches, all the palmetto bugs. It's amazing. They exterminated everything. My house is clean again. And they go back into their house, and as they go back into their house, their doors open. All the junk is still in their house. You would go, what are you talking about? You may have exterminated the cockroaches and rats, but all the junk that attracted them is still there. Until you clean that out, you're going to keep bringing those vermin and pests in. I want to offer you a model today of understanding your leadership that's so much deeper than most of what I see out there in content. Most content is about how to exterminate the rats and the cockroaches in your leadership, the fruit of it never getting to the root cause of deep personal transformation. It's like in, if I'm in an argument with my wife and I say never or always, those are really helpful words, right? I want to get to the root and go, okay, why am I saying that word right now? Because if something in me can get cleaned up, then that word isn't going to come out. And that's what I want to walk you through. Now, to do that, I've got to give you three actions. To walk you through this, I've got to give you three actions so that, like Maya Angelou said, we can have an identity that's more than the parts and pieces. And if you'll just try this idea on with me and think about your identity, this infinite capacity that you have within that Young talked about, it is the secret, it is the clue, it is the key to you developing yourself as much as you can as a leader. Action number one, it's going to be this. You have to leave the expectations. You have to leave the expectations. Now, I am going to do something a little risky with you here. Um, how many of you have seen the new Star Wars movie, Rise of Skywalker? Just curious. Anybody? So a few of you. I'm going to give away just a few little things, and I'm sorry to do that to you. Because this story, while I know that there is strong feelings in popular culture about how good or not good the movie was, it was flawless in how someone psychologically develops. And I'm only going to bring out three plot points. The first one, Ray is training with Princess Leia. The training is not done, and she says, I have to leave. Now, those of you that remember the first film, Luke is training with Yoda, and he hears his friends calling for help. Yoda wants him to stay and complete the training, but what does Luke do? He leaves. The wild part about development and getting to the edge of your abilities and growing as much as you can is you have to leave the expectations. See, here's the problem that we've constructed when we build companies and teams and institutions and families is we've created a way of doing things, an expectation. You say, how is that the problem? That's a good thing. Absolutely. It's a good thing starting out. I mean, we do this all the time. We're helping a company develop their cultural values, how to define these, how to get them clear, how to get them expressed. What's it mean to keep your family on point and on vision? All this is good stuff. But the cultural heritage, the tradition, the institutions, the ideas about going to college, religious ideas, whatever, impose this imprint upon you and tell you, this is who you have to be. 
Well, the problem with that is the work is already done. And it's not going to be something then that you get to discover. All transformation, all deep growth, all deep understanding of an identity starts with understanding this idea. I have to leave the expectation. I happened to read Phil Knight's book on Nike this past year, uh, last year. It was fantastic. Why was it fantastic? Because it, it gave me so much permission. What did it give me so much permission on? Finding my own unique path in business. I do this work every day with people and have since 2008 or nine. I still need these reminders like crazy. <laughs> There's no straight line in nature. There's no straight line in success. I'm reading through this book and I'm like, oh my gosh, he had like three or 400 people go to cash their paychecks one day and they all bounced. Like literally so much intense stress and pressure, he would just hug his ribs in meetings because he would shudder like crazy. His path wasn't just like mine and mine isn't just like yours and he had to leave the expectation. And in leaving the expectation of what it had to be like, he could find what his was. I find this really, really wild because I taught at the collegiate level for a few years at Capital University. I have three daughters, 14, 15, and 17. They're at this place where they're starting to feel pressure about where to go to college. And you know, I just tell them, it doesn't matter whether you go to college or not. It doesn't even matter what degree you get. Because if I try to bring pressure and impose upon them some kind of imprint, I'm creating something they have to leave. Instead, I want them relaxed to actually discover who they are and where they are. And what's happening all the time in leadership development is we need to put out a process in front of people. But we also have to understand if they're healthy, they're going to help make it better. It's Luke and Ray saying to Yoda and Leah, I've got to go. I've got to go. This is wisdom that we find in traditions all over the world. Because we're in the West, some of you know this, you know, unless you hate your father and mother, you can't have a part of me. What would... What was that about? It's this idea that you have to leave. And so I'm thinking all the time with the teams and companies we work with and my family, how do we create things that encourage them to find their own way, create systems, processes, cultures, places that they don't have to rebelliously push against, but we champion them becoming the fullness of who they can be. And a deeper way of saying this is, you know what it means to leave something internally, not just leaving it externally. Some of you right now are in a place in your leadership with your company or your team where you start to build this little fantasy and you're just convinced if this one thing would change, everything would be perfect. We all fall into that trap and of course it won't be. Or if I could just leave this and go do this. The most powerful liberating thing that you can do, and this is how it all starts, is to leave it internally so you don't have to leave it externally. We just finished our best year yet. And in December of 2017 or 2018, I left all of the work. Emotionally, mentally, and physically, I had a few days where I just set everything down. And then I picked it back up and we reconstituted this year. And as we reconstituted, we found a new way, an advanced way of becoming who we need to be. Well, we had to leave the expectation. The most direct way I can say this for some of you, you are the boss. You can make the necessary bold decisions. And if somebody gave you the team or the company today, what would you do right now? There's probably some things that you keep repeating just out of habit. And you've got to leave those 
to recreate it, to reconstitute it. One of the authors that I'm a fan of, Robert Keegan, I refer to him in a lot of our stuff and talk about him a lot. In his most recent work, he talked about it used to be enough that you could just run a team, figure out the metrics, manage for that. Now you have to be able to reconstitute the team. You can't just run it, you have to reconstitute it. Because we live in a world of, a VUCA world, as the military says, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. So it's one thing for you to lead your organization a few years ago, but you have to reconstitute it now for 2020 and what you anticipate in 2025 and beyond. Well, I can tell you this. You can't get to the vision of where your team or organization needs to be until you know how to reconstitute yourself on demand. That's the secret. And that starts with leaving the expectation. And right now, there are internal pressures you feel, voices, ideas that should be, you know, this, these should be a reality about my life. I should be doing this this way. I should be farther ahead here. I should be more accomplished with this. Leave the expectation. Well, say, if I leave the expectation, where do I go? This is the crux of it. Second, after you leave the expectation, you conceive the examination. Conceive the examination. Prepare for it. Imagine it. Anticipate it. See, one of the most annoying things to me that I hate to ever participate in, that I try to never go to, that occasionally I find myself at, because it sours me so much emotionally, is high school graduations. I hate them. I absolutely hate them. Because it is such a giant load of BS. Now, I understand as a parent the emotional feeling of, holy crap, we did it, we got them there. <laughs> but it's the best our culture has for a demarcation of you were a child and now you're an adult. And so you'll hear in the speech by the student, whoever the valedictorian is or whatever, saying things like, guys, we did it. We did it. We're here. We made it through. We're adults. We're launching out in the world. And, and I want to say, A, the results would say that you haven't done it. Because more than any point in human history, existence is terrifying, especially in the first world. And I feel sympathy. I feel sympathy for, for boomers that are scared and locked in. I feel sympathy for Gen Xers that are lost in the in-between. I feel sympathy for the millennials that are crushed under this weight of adulting and the anxiety of what it means to step up and face the demands of life. Now I see it in Gen Z where how long can we delay everything? And I'm not stereotyping or, or labeling any of those generations in a way to be harmful, but to say, no, I get the pain points of each of those. But we literally have existed in society now for around a couple hundred years where we are coming of age without actually becoming someone. We have no rituals to help people transition. All we have is this high school graduation where we say to people, hey, you learned how to cram and take a multiple choice test. Good job, go out there and get it done. And it's completely unfair. 
And, and there actually hasn't been a conception point of what the real examination is. The real examination isn't any kind of multiple choice test. What is the examination? Ah, let's go back to the Skywalker story. In that story, Ray, as she left the expectation, she started to conceive the examination. She started to see herself in the Sith throne room becoming the Sith emperor, ruler. This terrified her. She was terrified of what could happen. So what did she do? She went to the island Luke was hiding on and said, that's it, burned her ship. I'm done, I'm staying here, I'm walking in. Now, I understand what it means to feel overwhelmed with life. I'm 42 now. If you would have told me at 35, Chris, at 42, you're gonna have some moments where you walk in the door at the house and you just wanna go sit in your chair and tell everybody to leave you alone. If you would have told me that I would have ever become like that character Murray on the Goldbergs, you know, he takes his pants off when he walks in the door and he just goes and sits in his chair. Don't bother me, kids. If they come up and ask for anything, you know, he's opening his wallet to them and just, just get out of here. If you would have said, Chris, when you're 42, you're going to feel that emotion at some point. I would say there's just no way. That's just not how I'm wired up. Well, let me tell you, you build businesses, you come back from financial death, you walk through deep things with your teenagers and your own marriage and all these struggles of life. That happens to us all, where we just want to go to the island, burn the ship, and say, I'm stopping here. But at any point we do that, we've shut down the growth and development within ourselves. To conceive the, the examination, this was where Ray was able to go, I see myself becoming this awful thing, so I'm going to check out and shut down. But yet, if she did that, she was not going to be able to be there and protect her loved ones. So the path she was trying to avoid was the path she had to embrace. That yes, she had to step into the Sith throne room. Not so that she would become the great emperor, the Sith emperor, this evil person, but that she could dismantle it, tear it down, so this freedom could exist. I want to say a statement to you as direct as I can. This is from coaching leaders in Eastern and Western cultures, Scandinavian countries, all over the world. I hope you can hear this. You suffer because of what you resist. You suffer because of what you resist. The conversation that you're trying to avoid, the micro, the micro thing, or the macro, the problem that is building there. When you resist that, it becomes something bigger, it becomes more insidious, it becomes more damaging. And the real trick to conceive the examination is to lean into the things that you want to avoid. A couple of years ago, I realized we had one client that had become like 50% of our business. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is not good. I can relax into this or we can reconstitute and see something else emerge. It doesn't matter what it is. If you get still and you get quiet for just a moment, what is that examination I need to conceive? What is that thing that I'm afraid of? What's that Sith room I don't want to get into? Until you conceive the examination, you'll never know what it's like for you to get ready for that test. We all go through these moments, these wilderness moments, where we learn to separate who we are from what we do. 
And when we learn to separate who we are from what we do, we find that there is more. There's a deeper, greater reality. And that thing that you want to avoid, you've bound up your identity in it. And so falsely you believe, if I face this thing and it doesn't go well, people aren't going to like me and they're not going to think I'm doing a good job. And there is no more important thing that you can leave in your life than the fear of people aren't going to like me and I'm not doing a good job. Until you leave those expectations, you'll always try to show up to impress people, not impact them. And your job as a leader is to leave those expectations and conceive the examination of where you'll be tested. And it's usually the thing that you're fighting the hardest. My wife and I, when we met and were dating, we went on our first like uh, double date with her parents. So we're not engaged yet, we're just dating. We were actually uh, at the Red Robin out at Easton. And we're sitting there. Now, at the time, I had this condition where when I was eating, about every year or so, I would get food stuck in my throat and completely choke. And uh, let's just say that by the time I was in college, as soon as that started to happen, I figured out not to be too gross, but hey, we're here, let's do it. I would go into the bathroom and violently gag myself, jump up and down and land on my heels to dislodge it, and then I could breathe again. It was usually a very gross exchange, could take anywhere from five to 10 minutes. It was scary, you can't breathe. So I had, I had literally struggled with this for years. Well, we happened to be at this Red Robin at Easton, and I'm eating, just hanging out, must have been a little bit more nervous than I realized meeting her parents. And while I'm eating, I feel it right there, just stuck, stuck right in my throat. I get terrified for a moment. Now, usually I would just get up, not talk, and go to the restroom and try to take care of it. This got stuck so violent that I couldn't get to the restroom quick enough. So I get out in the middle of Red Robin at Easton. There's a trash can right there. I still remember seeing this. And her dad jumps up to do the Heimlich on me. He's doing the Heimlich and it's not working. Now at this point, I'm a big fan of breathing. Breathing isn't happening. I've got to do what I got to do. I see this trash can right there in the middle of Red Robin and East and I just went, poof. I still remember seeing this woman's face a couple of booths over, all in like freeze frame slow-mo. At first, when she sees me jump up, she's like, you know, in this face of shock. And then as I gag myself, I remember seeing her face go, it's like frozen in my brain still years later. I go to the bathroom, I clean up a little bit. I sit down. My girlfriend, now wife, sitting there terrified, can't eat. Future mother-in-law terrified, can't eat. Me and her dad just start eating. <laughs> Fast forward years later. I finished my first book. It was tons of work on Sunday nights. Everybody's asleep. It was the first Sunday night free after two giant writing projects. And I'm gonna celebrate. Randomly, I weirdly, even after dinner, went up and got a steak. I'm gonna cook myself a skillet steak in the oven. I start cooking this steak and I'm so excited. I take the first bite, I eat it. Violent stuck again. It was the worst I'd ever experienced. My wife knew the routine. I go to the bathroom, I take care of it, I come back out, please don't ask questions, it makes it more stressful. She saw the terror on my face. I knew this one was bad. She literally bolted out the back door, ran across the street to retired EMS. I run into the bathroom, 
I'd never had it stuck this bad. I, it's violent, it's gross, and it's loud. So much so, at the time, it was like my 10 or 11-year-old, she's now 17, it traumatized her to the point that she ate food in the front of her mouth for a few months. We had to like take her to children's, get her tested, thought something was wrong. I just traumatized her. Much like the palmetto bug experience, my wife, second time in my face, goes, you are going to the doctor and getting that fixed. And I knew it. I was like, all right, I'll go. So I go to the NT. They do these studies. Doctors and nurse bring me in the room. They go, okay, we did this case history with you. Here's what's going on. In the sixth grade, you choked at a KFC in Arizona with your family on vacation because they did all this case history. I'm like, yeah, that's what happened. My dad picked me up, did the Heimlich, boom, chicken shot out, still remember it, started breathing, it was amazing. That traumatized you, and now every time food gets a little bit stuck, you panic, your throat closes up, you keep telling us about how it drops down, it would be dropping down into your lungs. It's not actually blocking your airway. This is in your head because of trauma. You get afraid, your throat's just constricting. If you would stay relaxed, it would just go down. Nothing bad's gonna happen. Now your brain can so convince you of this that you will pass out, but you will wake back up. You're okay. I've been living for years under this lie. This thing that I've been resisting and forcing, literally I've been choking. After they told me that, still, you know, every few months, I'll feel something just a little slow. I just relax, breathe. Hey, this is going to go down, Chris. This is just trauma. It's your body. This is in your head. Goes down. Everything's good. Completely insane. The thing that you're avoiding, the thing that you're choking on, whatever you're afraid of, it's in your head and it's false. Are there real fears about having to fire people? About business laws? Yes, all that's real. But you have an identity greater than the circumstances you're going through. And when you know who you are is more important than the role you fulfill at work, you will have the courage to face every false fear that's holding you back. You conceive the examination. So you leave the expectation, you conceive the examination. You guys, you're here. You guys can handle the deep stuff. Here's the third point. You receive the revelation. You receive the revelation. Now let me break this down for you. If you suffer for what you resist, how do you make a change? How do you receive the revelation? So if you remember the Skywalker story, if you're familiar with the first two films, Ray is a scavenger. In fact, the three films open up with her like robbing parts and pieces out of a ship. She hops on a metal piece, slides down, takes it to sell it. Over and over in the films, it's communicated to her, her identity. You're just a scavenger. You're just a scavenger. You're just a scavenger. At the end of the movie, you feel what's happening, you feel what's coming, you feel what's approaching. She has this choice, one choice to make. And her choice is just simply this. I can receive the name that I want to have. She's given a choice to say her name, Ray, Ray who? Is she going to own this scavenger identity? No, she says it, she chooses it. I'm Ray Skywalker. She wasn't actually, literally, a Skywalker. 
but she said, I'm choosing that identity. Here's the reality about all dynamic, deep, powerful leadership. You're choosing something. You're choosing. What are you choosing? To receive what your path has taken you on to teach you who you are. Let me take you really deep on this, and then I'm going to give you a practical exercise, and we'll be wrapping up. I want you to picture two circles. Each of these circles have a word in them. One circle has the word mystical in it. One circle has the word enlightenment in it. And we're just going to pull these circles together and let them overlap. Now let me define this real quick. Mystical. By mystical, I just mean an experience of the self that's powerful, that's life-giving, that's transformative. A little way I can illustrate this is, how many of you think something today about life or leadership that is different than what you thought about life or leadership five years ago? We all have that, hopefully. How many of you had a pleasant feeling over the holidays you can go back to and remember? I've got some. How many of you have an unpleasant feeling? I have some of those. My parents are like, hey, we're coming a day early. <laughs> what? And then my wife calls. So we have unpleasant and pleasant feelings. But here, you've changed your thoughts about things from five years ago. Your feelings have changed from the holidays. Here's a deep, trippy idea. You are more than your thoughts and feelings. You're more than your thoughts and feelings. Right now, some of you have gotten an email. When this is over, at 11.15, you open up your phone, you check your email. Ugh, a pleasant, unpleasant feeling. Or, yeah, pleasant feeling. And that's going to pass too. So by mystical, I mean there is a self, there's a personhood, there's an essence that's more than anything that you can conceive of or imagine. Just because you haven't had an experience of deep self Presence doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Now, the word enlightenment, by enlightenment, I mean more than. Mystical is the me. Enlightenment is the we. That there is something greater than this self. Maybe self is an illusion, as some traditions wrestle with. So, deep experience of self, no self. Mystical, deep experience of self, enlightenment, no self. This these two circles, where they overlap, is how people have thought about development and change all over the globe for thousands of years. Enlightenment is the earth. It's the bread. Mystical is the heaven, the wine. Enlightenment is the formlessness. The mystical is the form. In all traditions all over the world, you have these conversations happening in very deep ways, philosophically. You say, what the heck does this have to do with us and leadership? Because where transformation occurs, if you'll just try this idea on, that there is a center, there's an identity, that there is more. Here's my invitation to you today. I'm going to give you an exercise on how to do this. It's to step into the electric middle of both of these. These feel like paradoxical opposites. But there's a contradiction here that actually invites you into a place where all transformation occurs. That there is a deep experience of the self that you can have, but you can also transcend all of your circumstances. And when you harness this in a deep way, 
This is what it means to continually get to the edge of your leadership. And what we're going to be doing over the next eight is teaching you how to live in this electric middle. Now, let me give it to you at a street level. So this is something you can take away today. You are driving your car. You've got this windshield. All I want you to do between now and next month is think of your thoughts and feelings like this windshield. So in the course of this next month, when I'm aware and I look at my windshield, I could have one big emotion, something I'm excited about. Hey, I'm crazy excited for today and the potential of what it means for your personal transformation. I'm also scared. This is a talk I've never done live before. What if nobody shows up, right? So as I looked at the windshield this morning, I had two polar opposite emotions, but I'm more than my thoughts and feelings, so I stand in the electric middle of those. I don't deny the emotional state. I'm not, I'm not dominated by it. If you ask me how I'm doing in three days, tell me about your day today, Chris. I might have 17 circles up there. I was excited for my daughter. She got her braces off. Then she gave me pressure on something. I've got a couple of uh, business things that are really exciting. I had this thing fall through. Uh, my wife and I had a great date. She said this comment to me that threw me off. You know, whatever. All of these things that make up the complexity of our life. And all I want you to do is just notice them. I just want you to picture emotional state, thoughts and feelings like a windshield. That person sets up a meeting on your schedule and you're like, oh, I am not excited about meeting with them. Just notice it. Just notice it. You say, what do I do after I notice it? Well, we're going to take you through all that. The false notion that's happening right now in a massive way in understanding how we grow and develop is people have started to talk about the ego like it's the enemy. The ego isn't the lower self. It's the signal fire. It's the clue to where your change can happen. So when you feel afraid and when you feel scared, there's an expectation that you feel like you're not living, living up to. Leave that expectation. Conceive the examination. The path that you want to resist, you can't. You have to surrender to it. You leave. You embrace the path you're on. And then you're going to feel alone. That's normal. When you feel alone, what do you do? You receive the revelation. The revelation of your identity. And I'm going to teach you how to do that. You're not alone. We're here. We're all facing the same thing that you are. The gift of feeling alone, just like Ray Skywalker, is in the solitude. You notice your windshield. You actually discover who you are.